So, we are back again for all those that aren't here with us, and we are still on our same series, which is, um, we're looking at the book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, for everybody, and it is about Nabil Qureshi, who grew up as a devout Muslim, and his journey of finding Christianity and becoming a Christian. So we've been going through it, uh, started out with him when he was a child, and we are now, I think at this point in the book, we, he's about in his sophomore year of college right now. So, let's do a little bit of review. Uh, Islam, what is Islam? Okay, it's a religion. What else? That's a very broad term, religion. It's similar to Christianity. Okay, what's similar about it? Okay, give me, let's get three things that are similar, and then three things that are very different. Okay, it's a monotheistic, which that means what? We're going to talk more about that tonight. Um, what'd you say, Audrey? Oh. Nothing. Abby. They pray. Okay, they pray. Tell me, this won't count as one of the three, but tell me what's different about their prayer and our prayer. We've talked about it a couple times. Yes, it's a memorization. It's a memorized prayer. Okay, so what, why, I mean, it's obvious to you, but why is that different from us? What do we do? Okay, right. Right, it's not like a preset time of the day. Okay, although you can have a preset time of the day, right? You could say every morning when I wake up, I pray. Or I pray right before I go to bed. Like that's a very common Christian thing to do, right? To pray before you go to bed. Um, what what's the significance though of those differences? What does that mean if you Okay, right? It it shows that we view our relationship with God as personal, whereas theirs, they don't have a personal relationship with God. It's not like you're talking to a friend when you're praying, okay? Um, I would say that their prayers are more like worship than they are a conversation, okay? It's more like, like we have songs where we, they're memorized, they of course go to music, but those are things where you say the same thing every time, and it doesn't make them less meaningful, but they're not necessarily personal, right? They, they can be personal, but you can see how it's different, right? Okay, so that's more of what theirs, theirs is like. 
Okay, another thing that is, what do we, we have two things that are the same that we talked about. What else, another thing that's the same or similar? Okay, they do believe in Jesus. What do they believe about him? Okay, he's a prophet, which means, what is, what's a prophet? Yes, he brings messages from God to us, but not from us to God. Right? That's the priest. Okay, Abby? They don't think he's God. Okay, yes, that's what's different is that they don't think that he is God, right? Um, we're going to get into that more tonight. That's kind of, that is one of the main topics that we're going to discuss tonight. Um, one, well, that'll be good. Okay, so last week you looked at the crucifixion and the resurrection, right? Okay. <laughs> what are the Muslims' claims about this? Because I know what we all we believe, right? They don't think he died. Okay, they don't think that he died when? On the cross. Okay, when he was crucified. What are their two theories then for what happened instead? Okay, Audrey, give me one. The swoon theory, where he... You know what it means to swoon? The thing, right? <laughs> so where he didn't die, they took him off the cross before he died, and then they took him to the tomb and like killed him, and then he just came out three days later. Yes, yes. Or even that he never even went in the tomb. It depends, because it's a theory... There's, it depends on the person who holds the theory. There are, there are different variations to it. Okay, what's the other theory? That this one is even like, <laughs> it's out, it's a little out there. Abby. Wasn't it like that they drugged him or something? Uh, that's more along like the swoon theory line. Yeah. That is kind of one of the theories out there. Is, that, is it the one where it wasn't necessarily Jesus on the cross and something? Yes, there's more to it though. It's interesting. Okay, Sierra. So then they say that God took Jesus' face and put us Yeah, kind of. They made either people were all tricked, like God came and tricked their minds to think that Jesus was on the cross, even though it was someone else. I know. That's why it's it's a strange theory. It's almost like we have to come up with a way that Jesus didn't die, you know? You're coming up with anything, almost, at this point. But, and part of that theory is that it was, you know, um, Simon, who carries the cross for Jesus, the theory is that they made Simon to look like Jesus, and then Jesus looks looked like Simon was able to just walk away through the crowd and didn't. Yeah, it's, it's out there. But, hold on, but to be fair, okay, I'm not, I'm not defending it with the Bible, you know, with what's written down with, with the history, but a defense for as far as you're thinking, wow, that's crazy, but how crazy is it that a donkey talked to a guy in the Bible? Okay. Um, He was, it doesn't say that, but it says that he was able to slip away through the crowd. 
So they are using things. And remember, this is what this is the kind of stuff that Satan does is he uses things that seem that are similar to what God does and he twists them and does some like tries to spin a lie, spin something with a little bit of truth, but the truth isn't there, okay? And it, that's not we're going to get into more of that later on as we go through the book, but I'm not saying that Muslims worship Satan or like Satan or anything like that, but there are it's like the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. That's not saying that the Antichrist is right here right now, but the spirit of being against God, being against Jesus is out there in the world. So, um, all right. So why are those claims then of that they had with the swoon theory and then with the, with the face swap theory, um, why are those impossible? What If somebody brings those theories up to you, what would you say to, not in a mean way, but in a way to say, well, I think differently and this is why? Okay, Abby. But they don't think, they don't believe in atonement. Which we're going to talk about that tonight too. Audrey? So, um, there was the one verse that you talked about where it said the angel came and said he was risen from death. So it says the angel, he was dead because the angel said that it was true because the angel said he was dead. And then also they speared him through the heart with, with, the, with the spear. You're right, right. Okay. All those are all good facts. Okay. They had they have a, they had a lot of like historically documented evidence that he died on the cross besides what's written in the Bible. Yes, that's good too. Like, does anyone remember some of their one of the major historic historians of the time? That's what his name was. It's actually it's like a variation of a common name in the Bible. Start with the J. There are a lot of J names in the New Testament. Josephus. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And he's a common one. He, you know, and he records all these same facts that the Bible says. So that's why I was going to get to. I'm glad you brought that up because what Audrey said, I would say, if I were a Muslim, a lot of time they say, well, you can't trust the Bible; it's been corrupted. So what do you say to that, Audrey? Or Abby? We talked about this too. You talked about a little bit in your review last week. And two weeks ago, this is what we talked about a lot. Because there's lots of different copies of the Bible, right? And things get taken out. Okay, textual variation, right? So we have many, many, many copies of original manuscripts, thousands of years old to compare. Okay, you talked about languages. You want to add? Oh, you got that. So, okay. There's those scrolls that they found in the caves in like the 1900s that they were like, oh, we're going to. Okay, yes. Dead Sea Scrolls, that's a very good one. But what is. Now, if I were a Muslim and you brought that up, 
this is why I would say, well, those are only Old Testament. Those are not the Gospels. Oh, really? Yes. Which, it's still very good, because that way you can prove that the prophecies were not changed after Jesus came. Yeah. Those are the original prophecies, so that's great. You could cross-reference all the, all the different Correct. So they have lots of copies because everyone did a handwritten copy and they have many of these copies starting with ones from 70 and 80 years after Jesus was born all the way until, I mean, until the Gutenberg Press essentially, which is 15 something, I believe. So you have like... 1,500 years worth of people hand-copying these documents, and there are over 4,000 ancient texts. That's not even like medieval or renaissance. Those are ancient texts. I think that constitutes anything that is before year 580. Don't quote me on that, but I'm just giving you an idea of how, how many there are. All right, we talked a lot about that, so we're not going to hang on that too long. But that is the direction that you would go to uh, say, from a secular point of view, being um, a non-Christian or a non-religious point of view, that the the Bible has been proven to be what it originally said. Okay. All right. So tonight we have a couple of topics to tackle. All right, and we're going to look at a couple of things. Is Jesus divine? Everybody know what divine means? Nope. Uh, holy. <laughs> yes, a deity, God, yes. Because, right, you could say that Zeus is divine, right? Because he's a god, but he's not a real god, okay? But that's what it refers to, okay? Um <clears throat> We are also going to look at the Trinity. And we are going to look at atonement. And a lot of big words up here tonight. And if we get to it, we're going to look at um, the defense of Paul briefly. So, first we're going to look at um, the, these first three are really related directly to what we looked at last week, which was Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and the historical part of that. But tonight we're going to look at the spiritual side of what happened. So what is the spiritual side of what happened on the cross? Yes, that's correct. And so why could he do that? Because that's what atonement is, right? Yeah. If we're talking about in Christian terms, atonement means paying for your sins. That's, what, that's why they sacrificed the animals the Jews did for years and years because they were atoning for their sins. So why could he atone for our sins? 
because the animals didn't work, right? I mean, they covered it up, but they didn't take away the sins. Think of think of it like um, philosophically or theologically. Why can Jesus die for our sins? Yes, because he was perfect. Why is he perfect? Okay, both of those things are true. He had no sin of his own, and you guys said because he's God. Okay, that is usually something that is attested to the well, it is attested to a Jewish and Christian God is that God is perfect. Um, other gods, not so much, right? You look at Greek gods, they're definitely not perfect. Uh, th- same thing with the Norse gods, they're similar to the Greek gods where they're not perfect. Um, but, <clears throat> and it, that does work because the Muslim god is considered perfect. Okay, so this is, that is something that you will instantly agree on if you're talking to a Muslim about this. That they'll say, yep, God is perfect. Okay, so why is it important, though, besides him being perfect, that he is God? What if it was just Billy and he was perfect? I mean, this is kind of almost a moot question because if he's perfect, you would say then. God's got to help him if he's perfect. Well, you probably get, you probably would say he is God, right? Right. It's it's kind of it's a little bit of circular reasoning, right? Right? So you can't use that argument, okay? Because it's just, it's kind of like saying, um, why is that tree green? And you're like, well, because trees are green. Yeah, you could say that. But, or why does this, when I throw this ball up in there, why does it fall to the ground? Well, it's gravity. It's like, okay, well, what if I throw it really hard? I mean, it's, it's just kind of one of those laws. So that's how they, the Muslims are going to look at it. That, Well, of course. And that is what they, the, one of the reasons that they have issue with, with Jesus is because they say he is not God, right? We talked about that. Um, so this opens a giant can of worms for us here. And not just in Islam, but... Almost every, every every religion jumps at the throat of Christianity, trying to theologically and philosophically cut the head off as soon as you bring up Jesus and that he paid for your sins. Okay? Because when you look at it and you say, because think about it, if he paid for Abby's sins and Sierra's sins, and my sins and everybody's sins he's just one person 
How, why does, how does that work? If he's, I mean, mathematically, that doesn't make sense. It, you should have to, it should be a one for one, right? If Abby has to die because she sinned, then one other person would have to take her place for her not to die. And if there's only one Jesus, then only one person can be saved. That, that's how a lot of people look at it. That's one of their hang-ups about it. What were you guys saying? So, didn't in the book they said something about how, well, God's life is just like the Bible and it's Yes. Yes. We're going to get to that. We're not quite there yet. Let, let me build a case. Okay. I'm glad you're thinking about it though. Okay. So first I want, like we're, we've been talking about that, well, he's God, so that's how he can do it. That's the first thing I would say, and you don't have to go about it. It's usually you go about it. However, the conversation leads when you're talking to someone about this stuff. You don't try to like force the conversation, but you allow it to kind of flow along. But one of the big parts is, how do you know Jesus is God? That would be my first question. Before we even talk about the math of it working out, how do you know Jesus is God? Think about it. Think about the Bible, right? We have the Gospels. You can read about him. He's one of the most written about and most accurate persons because we talked about the textual variances and many that we know historically he existed and that what was written about him is pretty accurate so knowing that how do you know Jesus is God okay that is one that I've got here he said he was what else there's some issues with that if you're skeptical that we'll get to. Okay, prophecies is good. We're going to look at that when we look at he said that he was. Okay. What else? What did he do that's different? Because if he was human, right, every, I think everybody, no matter where you stand, as long as you believe Jesus was a historical person, you say, oh yeah, he's a human. Right? I think everybody probably would agree on that when you come to the table. So what did he do to make him stand out from other humans? Miracles. Miracles. Okay. I want to look at that first because this is a simple one. What do, you, what do Muslims believe about Jesus and miracles? What do you think they believe? Yes. That's exactly what they're going to say is, well, that was God's power, and it's not his own power. He needed God to do that. Okay. Exactly. Didn't Elijah do miracles? He stopped the rain. He... They did, yes. But Elijah, you know what? He raised somebody from the dead. So did Elisha. He did, but 
he's after, um, sorry. I'm going to say no. I'd have to look that up. I'm going to say no on that. But either way, he's, he did do a lot of miracles that Jesus also did. But he's after Jesus. So I bring up Elijah because he's somebody that the Muslims also recognize as a prophet. They may or may not. Some of them do hold the apostles in high regard. But I don't think they see them as a prophet, though. Okay, so miracles is kind of a hard one to use as your, as evidence. It's definitely, it's there, but I'd say it's probably not your strongest argument, okay? What's another thing that is totally different from Jesus, from anybody else? He raised himself from the dead. Yes. They don't believe that, right? We talked about the swoon theory and all that. Now that's true if you believe all the historical stuff we talked about, how about the Bible, trusting what the Bible says. If you can get them to that point, then you might have, you know, a little, um, I don't know, just a little crack in the armor there to hold on to. What's another thing? Talk, think about how Jesus got here. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He was born of a virgin, right? That doesn't happen. Now, there have been people that have claimed it, but nobody ever believes it, right? <laughs> okay. But let's, I'm going to turn real quick here. And I can't tell you to turn there because I don't think any of you have a Quran. But then this is in their 112th surah, which is a chapter. That's just their word for it. And it's very short. This stuff is all like commentary. This part is the actual chapter. It's only got three verses. But this is going to be one of the things they'll pull up because they're going to use their, essentially, you know, their, their equivalent to your Bible. And they're going to say, uh, well, it all, every single one of these, but one, just for information, starts off with this. In the name of God, the Lord of mercy, the giver of mercy. Every single chapter in the Quran starts with that. Then it says, Say he is God, the one. God the eternal. He begot no one, nor is he begotten. None is comparable to him. So the key verse is the... We know that their book is true because we have evidence that We are going to get to that eventually. There's a section, the next section for next week is going to start where he starts to analyze the Quran and Muhammad to see if they are, stand up to the critical test that he's put to the Bible. Okay, so we're going to get to that. And there's a lot of sordid past. But assuming that, let's just assume because just to give him a fair chance, all right, it says that he begot no one and he. Uh, nor was he begotten. What does that mean? That's a word we use. It's like if you had a child. So he's saying that that God, and we can agree with this one, that he was not begotten. Or, you know, God the Father was not created. He wasn't some other God's child. 
Okay, he just always was an oath. That's something we can agree on. That goes in that similar category. But they're going to use this to say, well, he didn't beget anybody either. That means that Jesus is not his son. And they are also going to say, if he was, he's also human. That means he's like a demigod. Like, remember the Greeks, their ideas where Zeus comes down and he sees, he grabs some just mortal girl and says, you're going to be my wife now. And then they have a half God, half human child. Well, that's true. But I know. They believe some crazy. But that's going to be their, one of their things that they're like, well, Jesus is just, if, they don't believe that, but they're going to say, your argument just proves then he's a demigod. Okay. What do you say to that, though? Did you ever think about that before? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's logical to a certain degree. Well, I mean, here's the first thing that as a Christian that you can say is God can do whatever he wants. Right? He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He can work it out however he wants. Okay? Um, but let's, here's another side of it, just so you have another idea. This is what the Jews say about it. If, because they don't believe Jesus was God's son either. Go to Isaiah in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this is the prophecy um, that foretells Jesus' birth, the famous one. And if someone would read chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay. So, if you were to read the rest of this chapter to get the context for that verse, which prophecy doesn't always need context, just so you know. There are times where we've talked about this a little bit before with prophecy. Sometimes it is, um, like with Ezekiel, it was a prophecy for right then with the temple, but it also meant for the future temple. It meant had a double meaning, a double purpose to the prophecy. This is one of those. If you read the rest of the chapter, this talks, and this is the Jewish, the Jews who do not believe in Jesus, this is their argument, that this is a prophecy about, that was fulfilled within like 10 years, where someone was born, and this is their, and you're going to say, wait, but of a virgin? Well, there's, their claim is the translation from Hebrew to whatever is incorrect, that it's not a virgin, it just means young girl. So they mean she just had a baby like anybody else would have a baby. Christian was considered young, was she? Yeah. She was young. Yeah. She was like young for the average I don't know about the average. I would have I would have to look that up. Yes, but that wasn't uncommon for that time to live with your parents if you never got married. Like, you just always live with your parents then. Did they do arranged marriages? They did that a lot. If they weren't married, they Yes, 
she might have been like too young. Even no, because her. remember, she was already engaged to Joseph. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. She was of the, I would say, probably the normal age. But young girl, so this is where the Christians will come and say, well, a young girl just means any girl who is not married, is what they'll say. Well, so, but this is also in a culture, Evan brought up arranged marriages where pretty much everybody got married. It wasn't up to you, like you got married. Okay, so pretty much no, everyone got married before they weren't a young girl anymore. Okay, so this is like where you get into semantics, and this is a whole, I just want you to know what other people out there, people who are skeptics, people who don't believe say. You know, I don't want you to be shocked when you hear it, because then you're, someone will bring it up to you and you'll be like, I don't have an answer for that, right? Like Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer. At least you can say, yeah, I've heard of that, but I don't think the evidence is good for it. Or you can say, yeah, I've heard of that. Let me look into it some more. I've never really, you know, done, done a deep dive on it, okay? So just so you know, that's out there. All right. So that's evidence, but is that enough in itself? Hard to prove, right? You can't just go and prove it. You're, again, you're taking the word of the gospel, or what it says. So if, so if Jesus was a demigod, so traditionally demigods, they were all powerful and they didn't experience pain and suffering and that kind of stuff? No, not really, because the Greek gods did experience pain and suffering, even like Zeus did. And remember, they're not real. So there is no real demigod ever. Okay. So that's also kind of like... So what if that's your argument? Because no one believes there are real demigods. I mean, it's, it's a valid point. I don't know if it's an argument, but it's a, a point to bring up. Okay, we're going to move on, though, because that's, that won't be where a major hang-up is on. If somebody is really serious and wants to find the truth, that's probably not going to be their hang-up. Okay. So, we're still coming back to the Bible says so, right? That's usually what we come back to. It's, it's easy for us because we believe the Bible. But if you have gotten to the point where, like with Nabil, where he says, okay, I see that the Bible is valid historically. Like, he saw all the, the proofs that we talked about. Then you can start to kind of use it as your evidence. You can actually refer to it to a certain extent. Um, so we can see that what Jesus said, he actually said it, right? If it's Even if you don't believe what he said, you can say he did say that, though. All right, so we're going to go off of that now. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. This will be the most reading tonight. 1 through 14 is what we're going to read. Chapter 1, verse 1. Um, now remember, this is John. He was Jesus' closest disciple, followed only by Peter. He was there for every major event. 
he would also, somebody said this last week, what's also special about him? He died from old age. Yeah, he's the only one of the apostles. Um, he also probably, we think he lived to be about 80, which is pretty old then. And the, they're also pretty sure his is the last gospel to be written. Or the last one that showed up. Okay? So that's kind of a sticking point for a lot of people. They don't like to refer to it. But um, you, I don't remember... I don't know if you touched on this because the video didn't make it. It wasn't long enough, so I didn't listen to it. But John's gospel, one of the arguments for it is that they kept it. All the Christians that were around for the first century, they didn't get rid of it. They said, yeah, this is right, it's true, and they kept it. If it was wrong, they would have gotten rid of that version of the Bible or that gospel. Okay, It's, it's a pretty solid argument for it. All right, so let's read chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was Him. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was light, and the light was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And was a man sent from God, whose name is Jesus. The same came for a witness, the bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which light, light, light to, light to, and who man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so... Famous, famous part of the Bible where, who is it describing? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the word. And there is a whole lot in here. Like, you could spend a long time unpacking it. John is masterfully conveyed a whole lot of stuff with very few words. All right. So, but the I want to draw attention to verse 10 and... Then 14. In 10, it says, He, that is Jesus, was in the world. That means that He came and became a human and lived among us. And the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Meaning that He came into the world that He created among the people that He created, but they didn't know that He was God while He was here. Didn't know until after He died and rose again, because that was the evidence for it. So he is not only is he referring here to Jesus, but he's referring back to the very first verse, or first chapter in the Bible. So if you were to turn, turn to Genesis chapter 1, we have, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, that's referring to God creating the earth. How do you know that Jesus was there to create the earth? 
Not going to find it in the first verse. So, here's one thing that we know. This is something you know if you study the Bible after a while. Every time Jesus interacts with the earth, like physically interacts, or anytime God, sorry, interacts physically with the earth, it's Jesus. That's the person of the Trinity that's interacting with us. He's the one who went and talked to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it. He's the one who wrestled with Jacob. That was Jesus who wrestled with Jacob. That was the personality of God that did that. Okay? So, but then, if you turn in Genesis to to verse 26, this is right when he's about to create Adam. Somebody read just the first sentence in that. And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. That's good. For sake of time. That's the important part that you read. Now, context is, of course, important. Always remember that. If you're doing your own study, read everything. But I read it all. So I tell you, you can read it later if you want. But God is saying, let us make man in our image. Us. Who's us? Adam's not there yet. So it's not Adam. Okay, so who else would it be? Okay, yes. That, that's... That's the, what we think, right? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's something that somebody would say, but... but also, yeah, doesn't it also say that the angels look nothing like men? They're all these crazy-looking things. That's right. That's one thing. Very good point. What else? Angels aren't God. Angels aren't God. If Jesus is But what else? Do, have you ever seen the angels create anything? Right. I'm not saying that maybe they have some. I don't know what all of their abilities are, but I will say there is nowhere in the Bible where an angel created anything. And I am not a. I don't know languages. I'm not somebody who studies Hebrew or Greek because that's not me. But. The people who do say that that us is a different type of us, like as far as the the word that is used, that it points towards the Trinity. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. You could certainly go out there and search it and study it if you want. But that that is a verse that undoubtedly is referring to the Trinity. Okay, so that's another one of our things up here to talk about: divinity, Trinity. They all work into each other as the spiritual side of the Bible, okay? As the theological side. All right. So, um, there, there are tons of verses where we could go, but we're not, we can't go and look at every verse. There's more out there that you could search out about that. But this is just a very powerful one, a very strong one, okay? So, now, a Muslim will say, Jesus never said, I am God. That's one of their big things to say. Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never said he was God. Where? I am. Okay, that's a good one. He was answering the question, are you God? And he said, I am. Okay, yes. That's, we're going to look at that. Yes, and we are going to look at that. So, 
what, why is it, tell me more about his answer, I am. When you said that, didn't like Powell think that? Oh, you're talking about in the, in the garden. Yeah, I'm yes. About the garden. So, that is true. That's a very good one that they all fell back when he said that. Okay? Yeah, and they fell they down. Asking that question then, were they? Right. Said, Be, I am. But, so that's what I'm getting at. What's significant about the words I am? That was a name for God. Yeah. yeah. From? Yeah. From the Old Testament. Where? Where agree with the Old Testament. They do, which is good. And more people are not allowed to like, but say where it. was it first ever heard? It was Moses. Moses said, who will I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am. So this is Jesus. I mean, obviously he's God. So it's always like a mind thing where you're like, oh yeah, that's right. He is God. But it's him referencing that same part in the Bible where everyone would recognize. It would be like if you use words out of a song. To You know, people sometimes put just couple words from a song on their Facebook or whatever and instantly every well supposedly everybody knows what they're talking about because they're referencing something that everybody knows it's like a cultural meme I mean technically Jesus using I am is a cultural meme that he is using for the Jewish culture everyone would have instantly known oh he's talking about God at the burning bush and it's like a double meaning that he is saying, I am, but I am also referencing God from way back then. Okay, so that's a powerful one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. 16, verse 13 through 17. This is the other one you guys were talking about. I think so. Hold on. Um, oh, no, this is not the other one you were talking about. But I want to look at this one first. Because this is a different um, different part of his ministry. Alright, wherever we left off, let's read verse 13 through 17. Jesus came into the coast of And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Okay. So, did Jesus say he was God? Pretty much, right? Not directly. The words didn't come out of his mouth. Because remember, he doesn't want everybody to know right away. Okay, he's waiting until he fulfills um, the atonement for everyone to know. He doesn't want everyone to know right away. Okay, he wants people to come to him of their own will. He's not trying to be popular or anything like that right now. So he asked his disciples, he's just with this 12 or maybe he had maybe the 100, it was probably just the 12 there. And he says, "Who do you who does everyone say that I am?" 
And they're like, oh, that some people think you're Elijah, come back to life, or returned from heaven. Some people say you're John the Baptist, you came back to life. John the Baptist was beheaded already. And he says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, you are, you are the Christ. You are <clears throat> the son of the living God. So, is that, is that enough for you? Is that enough for a Muslim? Yeah, yeah right? They could say, well, lots of people are called sons of God. And that's true. There are times where this refers to a whole group of people as sons of God. And they're not the same as Jesus, right? You're right. Okay. But Jesus' answer to him kind of tells you that there's a little bit more there. That he says that, that God, my Father, who's in heaven, revealed it unto you. If he was just a regular man, why would he say that afterwards? Anybody knows Jesus is a man. That would be a weird thing to say. And if you continue reading on, he talks about he's going to get he's going to build his kingdom on Peter and that he's going to um, that he's going to give the keys to the kingdom. And if he didn't if he wasn't God, he would not have that power to give the keys to the kingdom to whoever he willed. That's where you have to read the context because you'll see that not just the Muslims, but lots of people that want to denounce the Bible, they'll just pull out one verse or even half a verse and say, see, he said this. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't read the rest of it. He was just referencing something in there. That's not at all what he meant. You didn't read the whole thing. So that's why it's important to read all around a verse. And it's great to memorize single verses, but sometimes it's good to go and say, oh, I only know that verse from that section. Go and read the whole chapter. Find out what else is around it and what the meaning is behind it. Okay, um, so now we're going to go to that other one you talked about, Mark. Now this is both in Matthew and Mark, but I'm going to look at the one in Mark because Mark is the earliest gospel as far as when it was written or the oldest piece that we have from it. Fourteen, verse sixty-two. <clears throat> Wherever we left off. Fourteen, verse sixty-two. And Jesus said, "I am." And ye shall see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of God. Okay, like you guys mentioned before, this is when the high priest Caiaphas asks Jesus, who are you? And then he asks him, art thou the Christ, which is the Messiah, son of the blessed, which that's the son of God is what he's referring to. Okay. And Jesus says, I am again, referencing that at the bush, the burning bush. And then he references another thing that they're all going to know as well. He's referencing another part of the Bible, which is Daniel chapter seven. Okay, this is um, oh, too far. After Ezekiel, 
Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. I'll read it for you. <clears throat> this is Daniel. He's, um, this is from his section where he's having all these different crazy visions about things in the future. And he says, I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the son of man. And this is son of man referring to Jesus came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days. That's God. God is always referred to as the ancient of days. And they brought him near before him. And there was given him, that's Jesus, dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And this kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So, he's directly referencing verse 13 when he says this. He says, I am mentioning the God way back with Moses and any references him far late in the prophecies saying I am the son of man the son of God that will come on the clouds and that I will sit at the right hand of God now there are lots of times in the Bible where it talks about someone sitting at the left hand of God or sitting at the hand but anytime it's the right hand of God that is understood to be um, only that's only a place for God Himself or this or Jesus, okay? Because there's another thing. I'm just going to briefly mention this because we don't have time to go into it. But anytime you mention the the son in Jewish culture, the firstborn son and the father are like the same person. That means that if the son came and said something, it would be like the same as the father did. He would go and do business in town, and it would be just as good as the father's work. Okay? That, it's a really powerful thing where if you know that context, it makes every time that Jesus talks about him and the father that much more powerful because legally they're considered the same person. And that's why... All the wealth is passed on down through the firstborn in the Jewish culture. Okay. So we can go to tons of places and um, we can look at a lot of these things, but we don't have time to. And <clears throat> if you continue to follow the line of logic, okay, because we prove the historicity of the Bible first. We prove it's historically accurate. Then you can start to trust things in the Bible if you're not a Christian. You can trust what's in the Bible because it's historically accurate. And then you may be able to get people to accept that what is said in the Bible actually happened and trusted as truth. Um, so, now you have a man named Jesus who claimed to be God, sent, and did die. Pretty historically proven they died. And that every, and he died for everyone's sin and then rose from the dead and lived and was seen by others. Okay. If, you're at that, if you have them at that point where they believe all those things happened, except for maybe the dying for the sins, because they're still unsure about him being God. We are at a crossroads that C.S. Lewis articulated really well. He said this about, if you're at that point where you're not sure about Jesus, 
but you know all these things actually happened. You know what he said? He is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Either he's a liar and what he says wasn't true. He said all these things like, I'm God, I have all this power, anybody who comes and knocks can enter, all those things, either he's lied about it, so obviously you don't want to follow a liar, so you could throw it out that way. He's a lunatic, which anyone can see by reading what he said and what he did that he wasn't crazy, okay? He didn't act crazy, he acted like a sane person. Or he, and here's the reason why he's not a liar, because his followers would have stopped following him. It, it wouldn't have lasted, okay? Or he's Lord. That means he is who he said he was. Those are your three options. It's pretty logically sound. People have used this uh, argument, this crossroads, ever since C.S. Lewis said it, and there's not a hole in that argument. That's why it's, they're always attacking the, the details, the history part. They're attacking the Bible. They're attacking all these other angles because if they can cause any of those things to be false, then they don't have to deal with this question of liar, lunatic, or Lord. Okay. But even if um, a Muslim or anyone else intellectually says, okay, it's got to be true, your brain is saying it has to be Lord, there's still a problem that you have to deal with. What do you think that problem is? If your brain is saying it scientifically, theologically, philosophically, all the, mathematically, all that stuff makes sense, but you still don't want to believe what is the problem. But why? What was that? Okay, why are you scared? What are you scared of? Okay, that is that can be a big part of it. What else? Think about Nabil. Why would he not want to? Yeah, that's a huge part. There's there's way more than just intellectually proving it to yourself because the facts aren't everything. Okay, there's. You know, you can sum it up as just saying your heart has to believe it, but that's your emotions, that's your family, that's your culture. You're having to throw those things away or you're having conflict that would arise from it. There are so many other re baggage, just human baggage, that you have to deal with. Okay, And this is where we find Nabil. He's approaching that point in the book where he's kind of on the te teetering edge where he's like, this stuff is starting to be true, but I just can't. I can't quite yet. And he's not at that edge yet, but that's where he's hung up on stuff. Because if we have, like, Nabil's... We have Nabil's head. Okay? And then he has... Like everybody, he's got brain inside of him, right? And he's got the section where he says the Bible's not true. Oh, it's true. My brain's telling me it's true. Oh, 
what Jesus said, everything that he said is true. Uh-oh. He actually died. He's running out of room. All right? Everything in his brain is starting to tell him to believe. But not quite all of it. He's got these little things that he's saying, ah, but I know that's, that's true in, in Islam still, so I'm hanging on to that. And here's another, this is one of the things he still hangs on to is the Trinity. All right? In Islam, they have something called the Tawheed. Oh, I, I think I pronounced that. Tawheed? Uh, not very good at that one. Which this... Um, this is where he, they say that God is one. That's essentially what it means. There's only one God... He's all unified. There aren't, there's not two people. There's not this Trinity thing, just one. They really stick to that. And um, when we say that, oh yes, but there's this Trinity where they're like all one, but there's three different ones. They're like, no, that's polytheism. You know what polytheism is? Right. Like the Greeks or the Egyptians, whoever. And they're like, that's wrong. And we're like, yeah, polytheism theism is wrong, but we don't believe in polytheism. And they're like, you're contradicting yourself. And you get in this battle of like back and forth where it's really hard to divide things out and, and explain it. Okay? And what we believe is there are three, there's one being, okay? And there are three persons. So let me, this is, this is like one of the hardest things in Christianity to get your mind around, and you never really will. You got it? Okay. It's like that one, that one show where there's all the robots and they can all turn into the one bigger robot. He's still one big robot, even though he's made up of the little robots. Kind of. <laughs> See, that's exactly the kind of analogy that Nabil hates. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And no, he, he does. He points out ones that I thought were pretty good. I was like, oh, I guess, you know. But here's one that he uses, you know, having been a Muslim. And then he says, this is how he explains it. He says, so, Evan, what are you? Human. Okay, you're human. That's what you are. Yeah. That's your being, okay? Who are you? Evan. You're Evan, right? That's your personality. So are you two different things? No. But you got two different parts, right? Okay, that's a pretty good explanation, right? To try to have somebody understand. So that's what we believe is that they're one being. That's what they are. But who they are are these three separate parts. These three separate personalities. And really it's so... I don't know what the real why God is made up like that. But I will say that it really helps us to understand who he is by having one part, his son that came down, having a father where we can understand that child-parent relationship that because we have that, that's how we exist, we can kind of understand how to relate to God better. Okay? So those things help us. Um, So here's the interesting thing is... 
this is an example in the book of how um, you get to a point where this is not a part where you are sharing the gospel to them anymore. That's not what's going to convince them. You talking to them will not convince them. You get to certain points where they're just not going to change their mind. And this is where the gospel is shared that does not involve you. You're not part of it. Nabil is in his classroom, just real briefly, he's in a a biology class. They're talking about nitrate and the subatomic level of it and all this stuff that's over my head, but basically that these particles are never in the same place, but they're... um, where they're all separate, but they could occupy any one space at the same time. It's all like this theory of relativity stuff. And because he's a super science, this guy, before he died, had, I think, two PhDs plus like all his masters. He's a crazy smart guy. And that's something where it clicked in his brain. He was like, whoa, that's the Trinity. Not that it is, but he's saying that's a picture of the Trinity to me. That's how I know it could happen. And this is where God can come and he can speak to that person. He can speak to you where other people can't. And we don't have time to go there, but in Romans 1 verse 20 is where Paul talks about that um, that basically there's no excuse for not knowing God exists because everything around you in nature proclaims that he's there. And that's what happened to Nabil, is he's looking at nature on this microscopic level, not even microscopic, subatomic level, and he says, oh, that's God. That's how, that's where he's at. This had nothing to do, David, his friends set the groundwork, but David didn't convince him in the end. It was God that convinced him through working on Nabil's mind. Okay. Um, Last thing, we got to talk about atonement. You'll have to talk about um, Paul next week. But atonement. This is that we're getting back to the beginning where we talked about how can one person pay for all the sins of the world. And there's... um, It's something where it's hard to go to the Bible to make the argument with it. You can go there and you can find things that talk about it and... Paul certainly talks quite a bit about it, but it's almost something you have to think about in a logical sense, like a mathematical sense, um, and critically think about it yourself. So, Nabil's response is basically what we talked about earlier, that it would be dumb if you went to um, the current president now and said, hey, I hear you, the debt is, I think it's what, seven trillion now or something? He's like, uh, I can pay for it. And he's like, oh, great. And you give him 10 bucks, and you're like, there you go, paid for it. He'd be like, what's wrong with you? You're really dumb. Why would you think that would pay for it? And that's when Nabil's saying, one person can't just pay for everybody's sins. It doesn't make sense. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to use a different story. This is actually one that Nabil later used in his life. That's a good one. It's, this is actually based... The first part of it is a true story. A woman committed a crime in New York City. Okay, um, I think 
somebody took her to court over that crime and wanted reparations for it, wanted to be paid for whatever the crime was. And the judge, the woman pleaded guilty. She didn't say that she was innocent. She said, I'm guilty of the crime. The judge issued a verdict, said, okay, you're guilty, and assigned a $10 fine, then immediately walked up to her, took out his wallet, and gave her 10 bucks. Or and paid bits to pay for her, to for her fine that she had to pay for. Okay, so this is this is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Right, that judge had mercy. Said, "Okay, yeah, you're definitely guilty. I've I've weighed the case. You're guilty. Here's the fine, and but I'm just going to pay it for you, so you don't have to worry about it." Now. The only thing that would be different about that that would that's not accurate is that the judge in Jesus' case would have had to be the, also the person who took her to court. That right, because Jesus, I'm not. It's not exactly, but he is essentially saying you have to go to judgment one day. I mean, if God's not forcing you to go to judgment day, who is? Right? He's, he's in control of everything. So he's taking you to court, finding you guilty, but then Jesus is saying, nope, that's okay, I'm going to pay for it. I, in fact, I already paid for it. As long as they're willing to say, yep, I'm guilty, I need forgiveness, then I'll pay for it. So, just... A little bit of atonement, you could go into it far deeper on it, but that's where we're at. Next week, we're going to start looking at the Quran and uh, Muhammad. might split it into two different weeks. We'll see. But it'll be, I think you'll find it quite interesting. Thank you.